another magical Saturday stream. I am your host, Joe Magician, and today we'll be talking about the Lord of Light, of Fire and Life, Relore himself. Last couple streams, we talked a lot about the gods of death and night and cold and ice. And of course, I'm talking about the others. So I figured it was only right to talk about their opposite, their great enemy, their nemesis in the war for life, I guess. I guess that's what they're fighting over. Have I gone back to my old intro? Why, was that the wrong one? Oh, I may have messed it up. I hope not. The Lord of Light's followers have been increasingly active as the Song of Ice and Fire has progressed and displaying some astounding abilities like just offhandedly resurrection and seeing the future in flames and, you know, just doing fire magic sometimes. So it's kind of making the case that R'hllor may be the only real god in power in A Song of Ice and Fire among, among a bunch of pretenders. But alongside their miracles, there's quite a lot of skepticism, not only in-universe, but also out about what R'hllor is exactly and what he can do and what his followers can do through him. Is he the greatest force in Westeros that would turn the tide against the march of cold death? Or is he, you know, the Red Relu, as the Northmen call him, a false god who will lead them further into darkness? Today, we'll discuss all that and see what conclusions we can draw about the great Red God. Well, sometimes a Red God. That one's a little confusing. Is he the Red God Jaggen's talking about? Is he not? We'll see. Uh, last few streams, it's been the black background intro, not the blue one. Whoops, I think I used the wrong video. I'll have to fix that. Thank you for pointing it out, Aaron. Welcome to the Maesters Club. Is that what we're calling it? Oh, congratulations, Tori. Your master's degree. Way to go. God, I could help. I'm sure I'm sure like a lot of people put me on the background while studying and doing other things. Sort of how it goes. But yeah, congratulations. Way to go. Way to forge those chains. Is he just red or thematically red? I'm not really sure what the difference is. Don't even know what he looks like. We'll have to see about that. So before we get going, just a few ways um, that you can support the stream and some things we'll be doing today that, you know, sort of become standard practice, I guess. As always, slam the MF and like button. And when we get to a certain amount of likes on the stream, I'm going to give away more t-shirts to my threadless shop. Uh, link is in the description if you want to check it out. Uh, see what's up there. It's, you know, ass waffle stuff and my spooky tree my 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 wizard hat all that other kind of things also helps you know helps youtube know that you liked it and therefore other people will come check out the channel and that kind of thing also subscribe if you haven't if you're trying to chat while we're going live and you, and you find that you can't it's because a while ago i turned on subscriber only chat so if all you have to do is just hit the sub button and not only you be inundated with all this lovely content, but you'll be able to chat while we're talking. Also, if you want to support me or the channel, you can go to patreon.com slash Joe Magician, whole bunch of different levels for different stuff you can get. The most popular one's the $5 level because that's where you get access to like the Dying of the Light read through and patron only content. There's other stuff above that. That's what people generally tend to go. And also I wanted to thank all my lovely pat patrons. Thank you guys for the support and sticking around for all this time as we wait in the long night itself for uh, a song for the winds of winter and hopefully a dream of spring at some point. It has it has helped quite a bit. So thank you guys a lot. So the so what we're going to do for giveaways today, let's see here. We got 38 likes so far. So let's put this at 50 likes, 50 likes on this stream. So that's only 12 more of you slam that like button and we'll give away a code so that you somebody can go get themselves a free T-shirt from my threadless shop. And then we'll do 50, 100, 150. We'll just go up by 50s. I think that's what I'm trying to say. We're going to go up by 50s. And if we get to 150 likes, I'll throw on the wizard hat, which is out of frame, but nearby. I can just totally go get it. Um, at 200, we'll go full George R. R. Martin. We'll throw on that ridiculous <laughs> Greek sailor hat that he likes. Um, 
The only god in Westeros is the Squisher King Euron. Euron's a squisher? I missed the note on that one. Also, I I am definitely late on Dying of the Light. Read through things. It's supposed to be out a month and a half ago, but you know, there's been I talked about it last time. I'm not gonna go over it again. But there's been personal reasons why I haven't been able to finish it based on what's in the chapter and what's been going on. But that should be out. Let's see here. The 12th should be out the 15th uh, or the 14th for patrons $10 and up. So we'll get that back on track. We'll get the next ones recorded and we'll finish that book. I mean, we're pretty close at this point on chapter 13 out of 15 or 16, I think. So we'll go in and slam that one. Oh, there we go. That was pretty quick. All right, so let me load up Nightbot and we'll do a giveaway real fast. All right, so let's do the keyword. I learned last time that I should make it something that people won't misspell, something that's easy to figure out. So let's make the keyword people will misspell for lore. We'll make it Thoros. So if you want to be entered to win a free T-shirt from my Threadless shop, type the word Thoros, T-H-O-R-O-S, and you will be entered. Let's see here. So it's 218. I'll roll it at 225. <laughs> there you go. People just slam into Thoros. I could have phrased that better. Don't slam. Well, maybe do slam Thoros just for this one time. In general, don't slam Thoros. He's an old man. You know, he's frail at this point. <laughs> I always wonder if like somebody joins right now and they just see my chat is this full of the word Thoros. Actually, we're going to put up a poll too. If it lets me. Oh, it did this time. All right, there we go. A bun guy. Yeah, he was a nice uh, comedic relief in the show until they killed him via zombie bear. Those have a role still to play. Yo, he's not dead in the books. Eric is, so got a lot going on there. So I got the opening quote here for talking about there's there's a sort of ethos to R'hllor and a way that George really wants to frame it so that you understand what he's talking about and the different ways that he's using this godlike thing, figure, or whatever in the story. It's obviously there is a fair amount of religion talk in A Song of Ice and Fire, but in general, you're sort of told that none of the gods are real. Or if they are, they are something else pretending to be gods, that there's a lot of manipulations going on. Thanks for the subscription, Jack Smear. And he sort of addresses this directly, in particular, with the interactions between Davos and Melisandre. That he is the non-believer, Melisandre is the zealot. And he often has them argue about this, or a proxy argument through uh, Stannis. The quote here is a good one. The war, she affirmed. There are two Onion Knight, not seven, not one, not a hundred or a thousand. Two. You think I crossed half the world to put yet another vain king on yet another empty throne? The war has been waged since time began. And before it is done, all men must choose where they will stand. On one side is R'hllor, the Lord of Light, the Heart of Fire, the God of Flame and Shadow. Against him stands the Great Other, whose name may not be spoken, the Lord of Darkness, the Soul of Ice, and the God of Night and Terror. Ours is not a choice between Baratheon and Lannister, between Greyjoy and Stark. It is death we choose, or life. Darkness or light. Yeah, that's that's more or less how it's framed in general. A lot of the followers of R'hllor take that kind of very binary viewpoint. Thoros did not have at first, but he has later, that they truly do believe that on the line is the fate of the world with their faith. It's weird to see, essentially, I guess what you would call it a doomsday cult become this popular but because this is george's world and because there literally is a doomsday coming an apocalypse of undead horrors from beyond the wall it kind of makes sense that 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 would be a thing like it is it is a thing especially in like christianity that things like the rapture exist and the end of days but most people don't really believe that on a on like a practical scale people that do are generally 
perceived as weirdos standing on corners yelling at the sky. In Song of Ice and Fire, it's different. The the Rolorists are technically correct and maybe not correct in their uh, their guesses about how it will come about, but certainly that it is coming and it's happening right now. What's oh yeah, what's the poll? 60% of you say that Rolor is real, 40% don't. Well, Melisandre has the flames for you. Just waiting to burn you out. I, I do like that George has kind of played with that a little bit. That in any sort of real life context, characters like Melisandre, Beric, Thoros, Makoro, Benero, they, they would seem insane. But they're not because these things are real. It's kind of the same thing that happens with Tyrion when he's talking to the rangers. And they're telling him about the others coming. And he's like, oh, it's Snarks and Grumpkins. That is like more or less the correct way to think about those sort of things, but not in this fantasy universe. <laughs> so I think we should start out kind of broad on what we're talking about here with R'hllor in particular and the faith of R'hllor. So at a very, very broad level, it is a semi-popular religion found mostly in Essos but primarily based out of Volantis, the old Valyrian colony. It really has just one core belief that's built around, which is, again, pretty unusual, but that's how it goes. And it's, it's what Melisandre was talking about in that previous quote, that the great other is death and evil and bring about the end of the world. The Lord of Light, who they follow, is, is the force that will defeat it, continuing light and life and all these things. Hey, uh, struggling against the dying of the light. I've I've heard that somewhere before. George really likes that that idea. He keeps putting it into a lot of different stories, even writing a one book about it in particular. And for an order order for this to come about, the prophesized hero Azor Ahai will be reborn, who will fight on the side of Rolor and defeat the Great Other. Let's see here. Lord of Light can resurrect people. That yeah, that it, that's one of the things that's different, definitely about Rolorism, is that. Their miracles do happen. They're real. They're, you don't have, there's no storytelling. There's no, there's no like word of mouth. It's like, we just literally see it happen. So kind of interesting that George does that. And it's, it's basically just kind of a duality of figures that, you know, it's light, light and life versus darkness and death. There's a duality of the struggling figures where it is possible for the great other to win. Therefore, it is up to the followers of Rolor to do his bidding and serve him in a way that will push back the darkness that's a very real threat the darkness will win it's not always like that there's quite a lot of religions where the the patron god or pantheon or, or whatever is winning and will continue to win and the other side is like sad and pathetic but in rollers in particular there's very much an idea that they are under siege they are screwed if they don't do something about it i mean they believe rollor will help them but they also have to help R'hllor. Oh, that reminds, I forgot to say thank you. Danny McKay sent through a PayPal earlier, which is a thing you can do down in the, the comments. There's a link to it. Oh, that's weird. Chat has frozen. Oh, wait, no, never mind. There it goes. It just caught up. Okay. So thanks, Danny. Thanks for the five bucks. Right back at you. Happy weekend. Symbol of R'hllorism is the great flaming heart, which I used on the, uh, the thumbnail for this video. You know, a fire wreathed in, I mean, you know, heart wreathed in fire, big red beating heart, one that's alive, that kind of thing. So again, yeah, this is a, like a really broad overview of what we're even talking about. It's 
basically ruled over by a priestly class, at least in Volantis. That seems to be where it's basically uh, centered in. And it's the priestly class are made up entirely of slaves. There's apparently nobody that joins the Red Temple who is not bought by it. They buy them from slave traders in the Valyrian cities. They buy them from the Dothraki, basically whoever. And that's who runs the Red Temple and the faith of Rolorism in general entirely slaves there's there's some hints that this is true for the Roloris that we know for instance melisandre has a recollection of being sold as a slave the whole melanine lot seven memory that she has basically that she's being called up to be sold that she's one of the lots and that her name is melanie that kind of thing oh i forgot to do the giveaway okay here we go let's roll it oh danny mckay there you go buddy thank you for the for the paypal in response you get a t-shirt so make sure you you can dm me or on Twitter, or you can send me an email to askjoemagician at gmail.com. I'll send you back a code. You can pick up something. Thoros, we talked about this during the Thoros stream. He, he claims to have been given over to the faith of the world lore. It's unclear what that means exactly. Was he given over in exchange for money? Was he like donated? Is it like uh, Ario Hota where he's basically, is he basically like property of the Red Temple? He doesn't seem to want to leave, but doesn't really, it's not really clear where he would go anyway. You know, it's a, it's a good deal for Thoros to stay. And very, very often, what is it? The, the Red Priests, especially those from Volantis, have these big intricate tattooed flames on them. That's a thing within the Free Cities that slaves are marked with um, different kinds of tattoos to say what they are. And the, the flame tattoos mean that you're a slave specifically to the Red Temple. Oh, Morley. Hey, Mora. Thank you for the $50. Pushing back the darkness. Your content always available to light the way to better understanding of Song of Ice and Fire. You are the best. Am I Melisandre? Oh, I never considered myself a Rolorist. Maybe I am. Just burning kids on the side and stuff like that. Thank you for the super chat, Mora. Oh, that's very kind of you. We don't know very much about the doctrines of Rolorism, really. There's some basic stuff we can get out of it. Basically, as I said, they're a slave priestly cl class. They have temple sex workers. They buy, um, they buy them just like the same as any other slaves, and they use them to essentially, as a side business for the temple, to make money. They believe in human sacrifice. They very much follow the idea of blood magic. They think that if you burn somebody alive, it helps Relore somehow and it, it will grant you will be granted favor in exchange for burning someone alive in his name. Tied to that idea is also that they think that there is like special blood, basically. For instance, blood of kings is worth more than a random person. They also tend to believe that children in particular have a lot of value for burning. And that's sort of what like underscores the religion that the way you have to power up Relore is that the night fires are basically it's it's sort of their understanding of how their relationship to Relore works. Relore is the fire. They provide the logs basically for the fire to keep going. Sometimes the logs are just, you know, wood to keep it going. But in other cases, it's the people being burned alive in it. They're being consumed by the fire. He's the god of fire, that kind of thing. One other thing that we know about Rolorism is that it is fairly hostile to other faiths. They don't see other faiths as basically like just misguided or harmless. They, genu they genuinely believe that if you are not helping them to fight the great other, if you are not, if you are not passionate about Rolor, you are helping the great other and therefore bringing about the end of the world. It's a very, very extremist view. 
and it leads to them being extremely aggressive in recruiting and pushing their messages and how they react to other people. Yeah, they they love burning non unbelievers, non-believers. That's being a false believer or betraying the faith gets you killed. It is certainly a thing that like sinners get punished in other religions too but like we can compare that to like to the old gods of the north there's not really like a priestly class that will go around and burn the non-believers or people that have sinned it's generally understood within the northmen that the old gods will punish you somehow and if they won't then it's you're basically morally free to go after sinners but it's not moralism is pretty aggressive in how they treat non-believers old blood of king things makes no sense agreed upon king anointed king hereditary king yeah it's it's a fairly strange topic like how are they determining that how, is there like <laughs> i've joked in the past like is there a spreadsheet a grand spreadsheet of lore? And when somebody gets burned, like their name gets plugged in and all the different aspects of their life get calculated. And he's like, oh, OK, so, you know, they have this much king blood. They're this closely related to that king who's this holy. Therefore, I will grant you this amount of favor back. And it's it's kind of unclear how it works. It's probably just similar to the Valerian idea of all magic is blood magic and that sacrifices work just in general. And they've decided that to increase their chances, they they will just kill more valuable people to grant more favor. That's sort of an idea that in real world where human sacrifices happened, it was generally thought the more important in society a person was, the more you would get for sacrificing them. Nobody expects the lowest inquisition. I mean, I don't think anybody in Westeros is expecting it, but Panera is planning it. And that's sort of the basics of it. You know, they 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 have the great other. They need to fight him. Everyone needs to be on board, but they also need to help R'hllor, who's also super powerful. He will grant you favor for burning people, which also helps him. It's kind of like you need to recharge R'hllor by burning people alive. That's more or less the idea. It's like a big battery of energy, I guess, if, if you wanted to break down their understanding of what's going on. And there's also the idea of Azor Ahai, who defeated the great other previously, and he will be reborn again salt and smoke all that stuff like those prophecies come from rolorism that's where they're based in there's not much known about the history of rolorism and where exactly it came from it's it's very vague in the text and the world book but there are certain parts of it that probably can lead us to understanding where it started and why so for instance it is primarily only in the former valyrian daughters it's it's headquartered in volantis in the great red temple there are other red temples in different parts of Lyran Dado. So we're talking about Mir, Tyrosh, Pentos, though I think one has even sprung up in Bravos, smaller red temples. But it doesn't really go further east. Not not really. And the 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 main faithful again are in Volantis, which outside of Valyria itself was the basically the capital of the colonies. It was sort of like the the Byzantium of if you if you want to think about Valyria is the Roman Empire. It's it was Constantinople. It was the most important place that wasn't in the homeland. And the fact that the the faith itself is so heavily tied up in uh, slavery tells you that this is probably a religion that was created or shaped heavily within the Valyrian Empire itself. That it's it would be weird. And, and also, again, the uh, the the focus on fire as being important. Like when you look at Valyria, it was it was called the Lands of the Long Summer. They harnessed volcanoes when george has commissioned artwork to show us what valeria is like 
it's sort of like Mordor. There's like open lava flows. They use their dragons. They they believed all their sorcery was built in fire and blood and specifically like dragon fire and that kind of things. So there's kind of there's an implication there that there is a relationship between Rolorism and the Valyrians themselves that maybe it came out of it in the same way that we see from the Bravosi that the uh, the faceless men were a reaction to the Valyrian slave mines. It may be that <laughs> Rolorism was basically like if you weren't following the the the, the many faced god of the faceless men maybe this was sort of the faith of the slaves where that this was sort of an opiate of the masses so to speak a way of the valerians controlling them because we know from histories of valeria that basically they didn't have a state religion or anything like that they didn't they weren't particularly religious themselves they tended to worship themselves or their dragons but they also didn't outlaw other religions they were in that one sense, they were tolerant as they were burning down the world to plunder for slaves. So it wouldn't be that surprising if the Valerians essentially created or encouraged this belief in R'hllor specifically to keep the, the slaves under control or to because there was such a big population of them, especially when you look at like the fact that, <laughs> you know, when we're talking about a god of flame, a god of light and life, well, those are kind of how the Valerians saw themselves. So it could be sort of a worship of them that became something else but there is um something else that maybe leads to the idea that there's a connection between valyria and rulorism and that is the belief in azor high that the hero of legend will come again with his flaming sword to beat back the great other in the darkness whereas the valyrians had a similar prophecy obviously the prince that was promised very similar idea same kind of symbols would mark their coming they would defeat the darkness. So it seems like these have a same root that that the two are connected somehow. And again, I believe the Volantis part is the thing that makes the most sense because it being headquartered there in a former basically Valyrian capital, it all just kind of lines up in a neat way. Rolorism originated as dragon or dragon lord worship. It very well could be. The Valyrians, as I said, they did believe themselves to essentially be gods with all their powers, and they thought their dragons sometimes were gods as well, or they worshiped them. So it wouldn't be that strange if Rolor is like the name of an ancient Valyrian god or something like that. And it was it just sort of over time came out of Valyria and became its own faith. They're not wrong. Aegon's sister's dragons were named after Valyrian gods. Yes, they were named after three of them, but there were more. We just don't know the names of all of them. No char chatting. <laughs> about Rulor. I am nowhere near as tall as the Dano Char. And this is not a Char jersey. This is actually a blank Bruins jersey. I only have the one Char jersey and didn't want to wear it. So that's that's very much tinfoil, though. That isn't anywhere in the books. That isn't in the history or anything like that. There's this, there seems to be a logical resonance between the faith of Rulor and the Valyrian Empire that the two seem one and the same. Because when you look at the rest of Essos and when you're looking at like Karth and when you're looking at Ashai and stuff like that, there doesn't really seem to be uh, a lot of connections to Rolorism. It seems to be mostly centered around the Valyrian Empire or that's where it is now. Yeah, I'm not, I am not 6'9". I am not seven foot on skates. I'm only six foot. I could be as old as the Empire of the Dust as Liet Rubenfeld. It could be. It could also be that like, so we were chatting before the stream started about 
how there's different parts of Norse mythology that have lingered to the current day. It's very much possible that stories of some sort of prophesized hero has made it into other religions as they get absorbed into other parts of the world. Like that, that's a pretty common thing that happens. Like, for instance, the well, my favorite one for Christianity is how we celebrate Christmas. That is actually the a Norse winter festival that they didn't give up when they joined and just sort of became a normal part of how Christians celebrated the birth of Christ, even though the two really have, there's no there's no commonality between taking a tree inside and decorating it and the in the story of, of Christ's birth. There's nothing there. It's just that two traditions that merged over time and kind of a cultural melting pot idea. So it does seem that there may it may have something to do with the great empire, the Dom, but it could also just be sort of a general idea of prophesized hero coming back to destroy everything that got kind of spread throughout a lot of religions in Essos. Oh, this is something I was talking about last time with the uh, the other stream. And I was talking about the last hero. <laughs> the funny thing about the last hero story, the one closest to where it actually happened, uh, the last hero does not seem to have gotten a, a fancy flaming sword and to fight the darkness. It goes straight from last hero fighting the children to the Night's Watch defeating the others in the battle for the dawn, supposedly with dragon steel. As I was talking about last time, the further east you get from Westeros, the crazier the stories get. But long story short, it very well could go back to the Great Empire of the Dawn or the Valyrian Empire definitely seems more more recent. The connections between the two of them are between Rolorism and Valyria seem just just on the nose, especially their obsession with blood magic and the, the sacrificing of people of burning them. Valyrians very much believed in the idea that you could that to fuel their magic, people had to die and they used it a lot. Could the prophecy be planted by the great other? Is there a great other? Nobody else seems to think there is one. They, they think the others exist. There's sort of the heart of winter thing, but that's that's sort of that, that's a little bit strange. A Bruins jersey. Oh, boy. This is the most controversial thing I'll do today. <laughs> We're in Bruins jersey on stream. Yeah, sorry, Bruins fan. That's how it goes. So before we get back into like the the general getting back into specifics of Rolorism within A Song of Ice and Fire and Rolor himself, I think it's important to talk about the the actual influences that George has cited as where he created this this sort of fire light god known as Rolor. Although one last thing before we get to that is that there are no depictions of R'hllor in A Song of Ice and Fire anywhere. There's not there's no statues of him. There's no indication of what he looked like. There, there's if he even has a corporeal a corporal form or anything like that. It is just represented by the flaming heart. That's apparently what R'hllor is. Unlike with the seven where people carve statues to them or the weirwoods where it's the faces on the trees. You know, when you look in the temple of black and white, all the other religions basically have like some sort of physical in-world thing that their that their gods can sometimes be, whether it's animals, they look like people, that kind of thing. Rolorism just doesn't have that. There's no indication what they look like. Red Sox. No, I don't really I don't really care for baseball. Kind of strange. It is it is it is strange that there's no depiction of Rolor anywhere. Yeah, he Adrian Birchall says it right. He's just understood to be like a living fire life force or something like that kind of strange so there's a bunch of quotes here from george P people have asked him in the past like where the hell did you come up with this idea of relore and these kind of things and it's honestly a pretty common question <clears throat> so 
he's his, his answers tend to be pretty similar. So I think he has a pretty good idea of what he was trying to do with it. So here's the first quote. All the religions in, in ice and fire have their roots in certain aspects of real world religions. Certainly the faith in some ways is based in medieval Catholic church, but in some ways it's not. Their theology is somewhat similar. They don't really see, they don't really have seven gods. As I made clear, they have one God with seven aspects, which is not so different from the Catholic church, which has one God with three aspects, father, son, and Holy spirit or Holy ghost. So there's influences there, but there's also differences having seven instead of three. And what are the seven? How would a religion develop if it had not just seven aspects, but these particular seven aspects? What do it mean in terms of how they worship and what the churches looked like and things like that? You have to take the basic idea and you develop it and you work out the ramifications as best you can. Similarly, the faith of the Lord of Light, Relore, is a dualistic faith. It draws some of its roots from Zoroastrianism and some from the heresy of the Cathars, which was the root of the, I'm not going to be able to pronounce that word, Al-Bajin, Al-Algensian Crusade. Never heard of that one. One of the more fascinating aspects of French medieval history. So yes, there are aspects of real world religions in there, but I, it's always flavored with a certain amount of imagination extrapolation as well. He goes on to explain, this is a question about sort of the duality of the great other and the Lord of Light. His answer is, I wouldn't specifically think, so, think in terms of yin-yang, which are, of course, Chinese Bayesian concepts, but there are certainly a lot of dualities in the novels. Melisandre's whole religion, the Lord of Light, and it's a contrast between light and darkness, fire and ice just on the face of it. You know, it's the cold one, it's heat, etc. The vast disparities of the different landscapes in Westeros, fire and ice has always echoed the poem of Robert Frost, which is, of course, very well known in English. Not sure how well it is known here in Spain, but you know whether with a world wind and ice and fire okay this is a bad translation here so he goes on basically to link catharism and zoroastrianism to the faith of relore i actually got that right Woo! no worries <laughs> don't <laughs> i just felt like wearing my bruins jersey today don't worry about it so i'm not i'm not an expert on world religions and i sort of i sort of read some summaries on what these mean and how it relates to relore but I guess basically it means that within their faiths, much in the way I describe Rolor and its relationship to the great other is that there's not a sort of domination of goodness or lightness over the darkness like there is in some other ones where within each aspect of even their good gods, there is dark ones, that kind of thing. And I think with Catharism, the belief is that Satan is much more powerful or something like that. You guys can correct me on that. I'm sure I don't have it right. But George wanted to play that up, that there is a hostile darkness that they are fighting against and that it is inherent to life. Let's see here. Yeah, my experience with Zoroastrianism, I think that's how you pronounce it, is probably civilization, the games or Crusader Kings or something like that. So um, not not my wheelhouse exactly, but those are concepts that George has claimed he's drawing on heavily. Oh, a super chat from Kraken Queen, 30 PLN. Thank you very much. Could the concept of worshiping light and fire from come from the lost, the lost memory of Long Night, maybe burning sacrifice originally referred to burning whites? Very well could be. People have drawn those connections before. It could be that Rolorism is, well, it definitely seems like Rolorism has something to do with the Long Night. It's unclear how much the Valyrians were aware of the, the Long Night and the fight against the darkness. Although Aegon the Conqueror, George has said, was specifically influenced by that for his decision to invade Westeros and unite the kingdoms. So it's quite possible that it was sort of like a thing going in the background of the Valyrians that the darkness may return one day. 
I have a cultural memory. But yeah, good call there. Oh yeah, and at 100 likes, we'll give away another uh, t-shirt. So slam that like button. You can get something from my Threadless shop. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know a ton about the Cathars. I just know that they're they're particularly perceived as heretical. Crusades were called against them and that they had a, a very different idea of, of how the relationship between evil to God, basically. I, I think that and when you look at George's descriptions of Rolorism that he's calling that out, you can sort of see that's at least his understanding. I don't expect myself to have a uh, him or myself to have an expert understanding of those kind of religions. You know, a lot of times George tends to have very popular culture understandings, and that's kind of where mine is. Rolor being time traveling brand yet. No, I haven't gotten there, but yeah. So that's one main thing. George is trying to essentially position Rolorism as almost like some sort of heretical to the faith of the seven, sort of the relationship between Catholicism and some other world religions that have much more an idea of uh, duality in, in people. Brought a gritty mask. I don't have a gritty mask. God help me. Uh, so what is the other? What were the other influences? Um, the name Lord of Light uh, comes from one of his favorite books by the author George, who he was friends with. And I think he still works with some of his Roger's children. I think they help him out with his businesses and in his home of where does he live again? He lives in, hang on a second, we're going to look this up. Santa Fe, in Santa Fe, New Mexico. George loves Roger's books and Lord of Light itself. I looked up a, I haven't read it, but I looked up a quick summary and I can probably see why George chose the Lord of Light to describe R'hllor. And in that the book, a spoiler alert for it, tends to deal with a lot of the ideas of gods hiding as people and like going up and down between mortality and, and being gods that kind of thing and it adds that kind of ambiguity and sort of the idea of is there are these things real how real are they are they even are they in this world or not that kind of ambiguity seems to be a big part of that book if i had the lord of light audiobook on YouTube. I'm sure you can. It's George often listed as one of his favorites and he lists the name, the Lord of Light. He's gotten it from that. So I don't know the book well enough. I, I, I as I said, I haven't read it. Maybe there's a character like R'hllor in there that was influenced some sort of connection there. But that's sort of that's kind of where one part of the name came from. But the another part of it, this is kind of interesting, is that the name R'hllor has a really old history in George's writing. It is one of George's, it is the name of a character he wrote back in high school and college, I think, who went on adventures and fought between gods and demons and stuff like that. It shows up in the his unpublished story. This would be kind of fun to read because of it. I'm going to read a description, but basically it's called The Dark Gods of Kor Yuban. And this is the quote. I called it. Dark gods of Kor Yuban, I called it. And yes, my version of Mordor sounds like a brand of coffee. My heroes were the usual pair of mismatched adventurers, like the melancholy exile prince Rolor of Rog and his boisterous, swaggering companion Argalak the Arrogant. This is going to be a running theme, by the way. You're going to recognize a lot of these names. He reused them many times throughout his different works. Dark Gods of Kor Yuban was the longest story I'd ever attempted, maybe 5,000 words, and had a tragic ending where Argalak got eaten by the titular Dark Gods. I had been reading Shakespeare at Marist and learning about tragedy, so I gave Argalak the tragic flaw of arrogance, which caused his downfall. Rolore escaped to tell the tale and to fight another day, I hoped. When the story was done, I shipped it off to San Francisco, where Clint Bigglestone, great name, uh, promptly accepted it for publication in Cortana. I began a second Rolore story during my freshman year at Northwestern, when I still deluded myself that Cortana was only delayed, not dead. 
and that the dark gods of Koryuban will be my coming out real soon now. In the sequel, my exiled prince finds himself in the Dothrak Empire, where he joins Baron of the Bloody Blade to fight the winged demons who slew his grandsire, King Barristan the Bold. I'd written 23 pages when some friends found some friends found the story on my desk one day. I had so much fun reading the purple prose aloud that I was too chagrined to continue. I still have the pages, yes, and they're a bit purple, bordering on indigo. So, so that that's more or less the origin, the name Relore, and the direct reference that George is making by naming the Lord of Light that character. It's the idea of a exiled adventuring prince. Kind of a legendary figure, some someone that would have been out of the age of heroes who traveled with Argalac the Arrogant. Obviously, if you there's Argalac Durandon who had a big part in Aegon's what was his exact nickname? Argalac Durandon. Oh, he's actually called Ar- Argalac the Arrogant in that too. But yeah, he tends to reuse names and different kinds of things. And he they tend to be little Easter eggs for himself or his previous fans. And this is one of the major ones. So if you wanted to <laughs> make a fictional history of R'hllor, the character. The most direct reference would be that R'hllor was the name of Azor Ahai originally, and the faith of R'hllor is the faith of that guy. And now the um, the religion is based around worshiping him as a god, basically. Probably not, but that would be the most direct connection you what you could make to the rest of his stories. Did George come up with all his names while he was in college? No, he came up with most of them when he was a kid. Barristan the Bold was the name of one of his turtles, and he's this sort of he loved the name, so he keeps Robin Liana come from early names. The Targaryen ones are more are more new, are newer, but you'll see them repeated throughout his other works. It would be kind of funny if Rolor was the name of the original Azor High or something like that. The Dothrak Empire, the Baron of the Bloody Blade, King Barristan the Bold, all the Argalak ad. It, it all works in one big fun reference for himself back to his own works. But it's definitely supposed to be somebody heroic. But he he always likes putting tragedy into his heroic heroes. And there's definitely the idea within Rolorism and Azor High comes from the Wheel of Time from Robert Jordan. I don't want to spoil this too much, but there, there there's an idea of a resurrected occurring hero within the Wheel of Time. And that's basically what's being referenced here with Azor High and Rolorism. It's as with most things in George's work, it's like a patchwork version of different things that he likes. So he's taken, you know, Roger Selazny. He's taken uh, his own works. He's taken Robert Jordan. He's taken the some sort of world history, world religion knowledge that he got. And he's kind of combined it into one big thing that's new, but made up of component parts that are easy to recognize. Yeah, Robin and Liana are from A Song for Leah. That's right. One of the great other is an icy corrupted version of Greenseer in the Heart of Winter. I talked about that in my last stream that that I think that the others are probably human green seers, maybe descendants of the ward king who were tempted by the children and becoming a force to fight against them. Of course, a lot of this is really disconnected from the history that we, that we know from Westeros. Like there's a sense that dragon steel was used in a way to help the Night's Watch defeat the others. But why did that happen? Like, how do, what does that have to do with Azor High? What does it have to do with this figure were lore. I'm sorry if I spoiled the Wheel of Time for you. I, I think that's that's a fairly benign plot point, I think. I forget. I'm sorry. I'm sorry if I did, but that's largely where uh, Zorahai is coming from. But another way that he likes using these his old works to inform the new is in particular <laughs> from this one story called The Lonely Songs of Larendor. In this story, he basically has these godlike figures become real. That they're not just uh, belief in 
sort of forces of nature, that they are real physical things that super powerful fantasy sci-fi beings have control over the universe, that kind of thing. So here's the quote. (laughs) But there are other dreams. Often I remember vaguely I was a god. Well, an almost god. I had powers and teachings, but they were not the teachings of the seven. They were afraid of me, each of them, for I was a match for any of them. But I could not meet all seven together, and that was what they forced me to do. But they left me only a bit of my power and sent me here. It was cruel irony. As a god, I taught, I'd taught that people should turn to each other and that they could keep away the darkness by love and laughter and talk. So all these things the seven took from me. And among the seven are different characters that you'll recognize from his other stories. Like one of them is the Hail Child Bacalon. I don't know where George came up with that idea, but he keeps reusing it. That there's like a godlike baby that has a flaming sword and it kills things. That's the Hail Child Bacalon. So in a sense, if you wanted to say, what is the Zora High? It's kind of Bacalon. But he has names for the other seven and they show up in his other stories. Laren Dor in this thing himself is essentially a fallen god that's been imprisoned by the seven. He's been reusing that concept for quite a long time, being encountered by a magical sort of fantasy-ish character named Shara, who has a super crown that allows her to go between dimensions. George's shit gets really weird really fast. And this is probably a good reason why R'hllor is very vague in terms of like what it is and like what what lore can do and can't do and what its nature is to the rest of reality and the great other. It's really left in the backdrop. If you want to read stories where he decides to make those in front of you, like his old works do it quite a lot. So, okay, so I, di- I didn't spoil too much. Okay, good. Okay, you learn about the dragon in the first chapter of the books. Cool, great. Didn't do that bad. <laughs> Sorry, I was really weird for a second there. I've done that before. Oh, time for another giveaway. You guys hit 100 likes. Thank you guys so much. Thank you for slamming that MFing like button. So let's do another giveaway from my Threadless shop. Let's see here. Keyword, keyword, keyword. Barristan. Type the word Barristan into chat and you will be entered to ent- to win a free t-shirt from my Threadless shop. So it's 3.08 right now by my clock. So at 3.15, we'll pull it. And there you go. So yeah, th- those, th- that's sort of the backdrop of R'hllor. That's what George has said in interviews and when he's been questioned, like, what is this thing? What, what is he trying to do with it? So Let's go away from, I guess, the external understanding of what he's talking about, and let's go into the story. So, for instance, I mentioned early on that one of the questions about is R'hllor real or not, is he like an actual figure in A Song of Ice and Fire? Is he a real god? It's that his followers can do magic, like actual magic, and pretty impressive magic, too. Although somebody has asked him specific questions about if R'hllor is ever going to show up in the story, and he has said no, that the seven will not show up if they're even real, and neither will R'hllor. Even if he's real, there will not be gods showing up in the story, like happens in other ones. There's going to be no... Zeus coming down from Mount Olympus, basically. So the biggest thing that his followers can do, and this is like super primary power, is that they have the ability to resurrect the dead. This is no fooling. One of the more impressive things that happens in the books. You can sort of be like, well, do they really see things in flames? You can sort of question the usefulness of like orging into a wolf and being like, I guess that's kind of cool. What does that do? Like, it's got to be more to it. Resurrection, that one is just like bang. Like, 
as we know, entire religions have been based around the resurrection of, of people being famous, of famous people coming back to life. So like, yikes. So here's the, um, here's the explanation. They do it via the last kiss. I talked about this a lot during the Barrack and Stoneheart and Thoros streams, but to make it simple, the last kiss is a reloric rite for the dead that when they die, they, they smooch the dead and they, well, I'll let Thoros here explain it. <laughs> I have no magic child, only prayers. That first time, his lordship had a hole right through him and blood in his mouth. I knew there was no hope. So when his poor, when his poor torn chest stopped moving, I gave him the good God's own kiss to send him on his way. I filled my mouth with fire and breathed the flames inside of him, down his throat to lungs and heart and soul. The last kiss it is called... And many a time I saw the old priests bestowed on the Lord's servants as they died. I had given it a time or two myself as all priests must, but never before had I, had I felt a dead man shudder as the fire filled him, nor seen his eyes come open. It was not me who raised him, my lady, it was the Lord, for lore is not done with him yet. Life is warmth and warmth is fire, and fire is God's and God's alone. So, yeah, there's, there's some strangeness going on there. Thoros, as you can see, the, the last kiss is they create fire in their mouth so Reloric priests can breathe fire. That's apparently the thing that they can do. They breathe it into the person's lungs, and it's not supposed to resurrect people, but then for Beric, for unknown reasons, it does. Beric returns to life. He is healed, sort of, returns from the dead, and just kind of happens over and over again. For some reason, Thoros has the ability well he says he doesn't have magic the uh, lore has the magic but it's really unclear what's going on here as Thoreau says in the quote here it's not it doesn't usually bring people back this is not like a thing that the red temple is full of zombies it never works it's it's just a last rite for somebody to essentially be blessed as they go on into whatever is after death it, it's it's pretty strange yeah carl carl snark breathing fire sounds a wee bit dragony too yeah definitely it definitely sounds valyrian i that's something i would expect valyrians to do um, their obsession with dragons makes a lot of sense but that is something that is not but it's something that's hinted about that it's a thing that they can do or that has happened in the past uh, so the quote here is from halden halfmaster He's talking about Benero. Benero's the high priest of the Red Temple in Volant. Effectively, he's the Red Priest Pope, I guess. Benero has sent word from Volantis. Her coming is the fulfillment of an ancient prophecy. From smoke and salt, she was born to make the world anew. She is a Zorahai returned, and her triumph over darkness will bring a summer that will never end. Death itself will bend its knee, and all those who die fighting in her cause shall be reborn. So, it is a thing... They don't know what Thoros is doing. Benero doesn't have any idea that Thoros has somehow cracked resurrection. This is just a thing within Rolorism that they believe that they have the ability to resurrect the dead sometimes, or at least the Lord of Light can. And obviously the idea of Zorahai is the idea of reincarnation, which is a form of coming back from the dead. Benero specifically saying, you know, if you die in your cause, we'll raise you back to life like nothing happened. Kind of makes you wonder what happened at the end of the first long night. Is that a thing that happened where there was like a mass resurrection or something like that? Oh, good call, Kraken Queen. Yeah, Valyrians also typically burn their dead. Uh, in a world of resurrection, burning your dead is usually a good idea. So they have this idea and they have this power, but for some reason it hasn't been working for quite a long time. And there's no hint 
within like the world book or anything like that, or in the histories that George has provided that this is a that this is a thing that used to happen all the time and has stopped. There's no hint that that the Red Temple and Volantis are full of zombies, basically. But then again, Fire Whites basically don't look very different. So it's possible using like using glamours and stuff like that. You could totally hide that somebody is undead. I will get to somebody that's probably undead and hiding in a little bit. JT Soul, I'm going to get to that in a little bit. But yes, I think there is. Oh, hey, Bernie. Chip, you still have ice in your driveway? Oh, I, I broke my back getting rid of it. So that's that's an important thing that his followers supposedly can do. At least some of them can. Barrick himself shows the ability to bring back the dead as well. It would be kind of interesting if Danny gets to Volantis and... Venero starts showing her all these fire whites they've been raising back to the dead, back from the dead, because the idea is based uh somebody in the chat said earlier, maybe it's something to do with the return of dragons. Well, I, I doubt the the red priest stopped using the last right. Thoreau says they do it all the time. So in theory, if Barrick was just the first and now resurrection works via the last right, then there should be a ton of them like Volantis should be over overrun with fire whites basic i haven't i'm pretty sure i haven't heard that so it's unclear if this is just like a general relore thing or if this is a thoros thing we'll have to see if we when danny gets to volantis and meets Benero, if this is a thing but for now it seems like the resurrection thing is something that Benero thinks can happen but maybe only thoros can do kind of interesting thing about the other thing they can do, which is what we talked about earlier, is fire magic and manipulation. Thoros obviously can breathe fire from his mouth. That's a thing red priests are taught to do. We have a quote here, too, about Benero. This is from Tyrion, I think. Benero jabbed a finger at the moon, made a fist, spread his hands wide. When his voice rose in a crescendo, flames leapt from his fingers with a sudden whoosh and made the crowd gasp. The priest could trace fiery letters in, his, in the air as well, leering glyphs. Again, this is pointing to the idea that there's some sort of connection between Rolorism and Valyrians. Tyrion recognized perhaps two in ten. One was doom and the other was darkness. Oh boy, that sounds terrible, Bernie. So Bonero has the ability to make fire leap from his fingers and he can draw them in the air. Pretty cool trick. Makoro, another one of the red priests, can do this as well. When we meet him on the way out of Atlantis, he ends up staying with Victorian for reasons. Makoro shouted something and green flames leapt from the dragon's maw atop his staff to vanish into the night. Again, dragons are being dragons and fire being evoked by the red temple it could just be because they're in volantis but there definitely seems to be a long-term connection between the two then the rains came black and blinding and forecastle and stern castle both vanished beneath a wall of water something huge flapped overhead its tearing glance up in time to see a sail taking wing with two men dangling from the lines so as a storm is calling Makoro essentially just like slams his staff down and then green fires erupt from its mouth. So yeah, it seems to be a thing that followers of Relore have the ability to conjure magic for various things. They can breathe it out of their mouths. They can make their fingers light up in flames and draw in the air. And apparently they can make staffs that produce green flame on not overrun roughly a number of Relores who have died in the last few years in the city at most. Even still, that would be a pretty significant amount. Volantis is a big place. There's a lot of red priests in the Red Temple. You assume that some are dying. Haven't heard any any tales of zombies in Volantis. So until we do, it seems to be only a Thoros thing, which is a little confusing. Why only Thoros? Why only Thoros and Beric, I guess? Although uh, this is something that people were bringing up in the chat when we were talking about resurrection and we're talking about fire magic now. 
is that basically these are not unique. Obviously, the others can bring back the dead or sort of they can at least reanimate whites. Cold Hands appears to be a white as well. And he seems very similar to Fire Whites like Barrack and Lady Stoneheart. Whatever happened to Gerger Clegane, he it's unclear if he actually died and then came back from the dead. Perhaps he did. But there are other forms of resurrection that are happening at the same time. So this is not this is not a specifically reloric thing. <laughs> like other people have the ability to raise the undead. Vic's arm explain, please. I have no idea. I have no idea what's going on with Volcano Hand over there. Don't know what Makoro did to him. This has to do with the fire magic. Yeah, Makoro has somehow healed Victorian's hand, but in a way that makes it look like it's about to burst out into flames. Speculations have been since Fire and Blood came out that he used a fire worm because it seems similar to what happened to Araya Targaryen, but not really clear on that one. He apparently was able to heal his hand in a way that's different from Beric. But yeah, they're not the only ones that can manipulate flame. You have the Pyromancer's Guild in King's Landing that have the ability to make wildfire and reported correctly to Tyrion that they knew the dragons were back because their spells got better. So yes, they, they can use fire magic. Then you have obviously the guy in Karth that did the weird fire ladder trick. You guys remember that from Danny was there. He made a fire ladder in the sky and then climbed it and then like disappeared or something like that. So unless that guy is a secret Reloric priest, and we know that the pyromancers aren't. So there's other people that can use fire magic. And of course, there's Valyrians. The Valyrians, before their empire fell, used fire and blood exclusively to power their empire. They they would sacrifice people and then they would use that to power their magic. Like for instance, the there's the idea that they held back the 14 flames from exploding using magic. So that's basically a form of fire magic. Um, how would he transport a firearm? Don't know. That's why it's a weird theory. Where would he be hiding a fire? Maybe inside his staff or something like that? It's it's very strange what Makoro did. Nobody really understands it. Yours seems to make up make up the abilities of, of magic users on the fly. You can't often predict them. Again, this is this is a thing that makes me think that uh Reloric religion came out of Valyrian Empire is that, you know, all the the ability to use fire magic is very much a Valyrian thing. So I wouldn't be surprised if that's that this is a an offshoot of them in some way. And I'm sure the dragon lords wouldn't be perfectly tickled to be worshipped as gods by their slaves. They are that kind of dick. Aren't fireworms huge? They're huge when they grow up. When they're when they're babies, they can fit apparently fit inside the Targaryen princess. Gross. <laughs> yeah, could could Makoro regrow Jane's hand? Maybe. I don't think he would want to. It's definitely a sense within the fandom that Victorian may be dead or come back from the dead. Well, thank you for the description, Deckham Dash. So that's one of those things that is one of those things that sort of pushes back against the idea that R'hllor is a real thing, that he's a god granting his followers abilities because other people can do them. So either they're like tapping into R'hllor accidentally and all fire magic has to do with him in particular, or, or there is no R'hllor and it's they're just... They're worshiping a god and then ascribing magical things that exist in universe in universe to their god, that kind of thing. Although the one thing that they definitely have that is pseudo unique, sort of unique, at least rare, is that is the seeing the futures in flames. Melisandre has used this to great effect, as has Beric and um, Thoros of Mir. Koro has done this. Stannis has seen things in the flames. It is a known effect that that apparently. 
you can stare into flames in this universe and the, the future will be shown to you, but in not a very hard, not in an easy to understand way. This is Melisandre's take on what it's like looking into the flames. Uh, the Red Priestess closed her eyes and said a prayer, then opened them once more to face the hearth fire. One more time, she had to be certain. Many a priests and priestesses before her had been brought down by false visions, by seeing what they wished to see instead of what the Lord of Light had sent. Stannis was marching south into peril, the king who carried the fate of the world upon his shoulders. Zorahai reborn. He's not. Surely Rolor would vouchsafe her a glimpse of what awaited him. Show me Stannis, Lord, she prayed. Show me your king, your instrument. Then she goes on to describe what she's seeing. The girl, I must find the girl again, the gray girl and the dying horse. Jon Snow would expect that of her, and soon. It would not be enough to say the girl was fleeing. He would want more. He would want the when and where, and she did not have that for him. She'd only seen the girl, she had seen the girl only once, a girl as gray as ash. And even as I watched, she crumbled and blew away. A face took shape in the hearth. Stannis? She thought for just a moment, but no, these were not his feet. Wooden face, corpse white. Was this the enemy? A thousand red eyes floated in the rising flames. He sees me. Beside him, a boy with a wolf's face threw back his head and howled. Uh, the red priestess shuddered. Blood trickled down her thigh, black and smoking. The fire was inside her, an agony and ecstasy filling her, searing her, transforming her. Shimmers of heat traced patterns on her skin, insistent as a lover's hand. Strange voices called to her from days long past. Melanie, she heard a woman cry. A man's voice called Lot Seven. She was weeping and her tears were flame, and still she drank it in. So this is Melisandre's POV telling us what it's like to try and see things in the flames. You have, she has no control over what she's seeing, but she can discern them. Apparently, if you go too far, then you start feeling, I don't really know why blood was trickling down her thigh. That's a little weird. Why is she bleeding from, yes, her vagina? I think that's what's happening. Then shimmers of heat tracing patterns on her skin, and then memories came back that she's uh, tried to repress. So it is... This is a real thing, like the fire magic, like the resurrections. People can look into flames and see the future. They just they don't know what they're seeing, though. It's 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 honestly very similar to green dreams, where what you see is not literal visions of the future. It is a, a, like a puzzle to crack, basically. George is basically just being being evasive here about what's in them. Very strange. Here's Thoros. He's answering Arya. He says, Sweetling, said Thoros, the flames do not lie. Sometimes I read them wrongly, blind fool that I am. But not this time, I think. The Lannisters will soon have River Run under siege. So Thoros, again, he's correctly doing the same thing as Melisandre, but also not bleeding like she does. Don't really know what's going on. But he can also see things in the flames and accurately. Uh, things he sees do come to pass. And then this is Makoro answering. This one's the most cryptic. Someone told me that the night is dark and full of terrors. What do you see in those flames? Dragons, Makoro said in the common tongue of Westeros. He spoke it very well, with hardly a trace of accent. No doubt that was one reason the high priest Benero had chosen him to bring the faith of Rolor, the Daenerys Targaryen. Dragons old and young, true and false, bright and dark, and you, small man with big shadows snarling in the midst of all. So, all of them can do it. All the Roloric people we know have the ability to see in the flames and apparently after some minor teaching they can show others how to look into flames too so for instance stannis looks into the flames and he sees things as well Celise does i think the florence do can as well so this is a skill that can be taught the question becomes again kind of like the fire magic is this coming from relore the god or is this just like a fact of this world that anybody with an is it is it true that anybody with enough practice could look into 
a hearth fire and see the future? Are people just not trying or something like that? Or is there something about being literally a part of the faith of R'hllor that allows you to do this where others cannot? Really unclear. George is making it unclear on purpose when he's asked about like magic systems and how it works. He basically goes, I don't want to tell you. (laughs) He doesn't want to explain it. It's very it's very possible that uh, that it is not a gift of R'hllor, that it is just a thing, I guess, that that can happen. It's like, I don't know. (laughs) It's hard to. It's hard to understand. Seems similar to glass candles, sort of. Glass candles give you, it's sort of like FaceTime. You can see whatever you want, basically anywhere in the world that you want, including inside dreams. But the the thing that always gives people pause, and when I was reading the one earlier, and it's that Melisandre sees Bloodraven and Bran, but not only that, that they see her. She sort of freaks out. She's like, oh shit, I don't know what this weirwood face thing is. With a thousand eyes, but it saw me, which tends to create the link that there's maybe something between green seeing and fire. Kind of unclear. I don't know if that particularly points to the idea that R'hllor, the god, is real. If people can just be taught it, then doesn't doesn't that make the case that it's not a god's favor? I guess you know, um, not really sure. Uh, there's also there's a question from Twitter. Richard F. Seymour said, "It seems like a lot of fans assume red priests and priestesses and shadow binders are the same." Please delineate. So moving on from the whole fire seeing thing, yeah, Melisandre's primary power that we see her having a song of ice and fire, other than fire seeing and blowing up eagles or something over the wall is that she apparently can create the shadow babies. We did the shadow baby spectacular a little while ago, talking about how she can conjure these disembodied shadows of somebody's consciousness, which can then go kill people or do whatever, I guess. Stannis uses to kill Renly and uh, what's his name? The Courtney Penrose, but that doesn't seem to be a red priest thing. The Melisandre specifically is called Melisandre of Shy. She went to a shy and learn from the shadow binders, which are different from red priests. Shadow binders are the ones that wear the red the face masks, and they apparently can do that thing whenever they want. They can create shadows that are corporeal and can affect the world. It doesn't seem to be that all red priests can do that. It appears that Melisandre is special, that she learned an extra ability. So yeah, that, 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 that's an important differentiation. But Melisandre does link the two. In her mind, she thinks that shadow binding and being a red priest are one and the same because in her mind, great fires create great shadows. Therefore, it is from R'hllor's light that the shadows are created and and bound to her. That um, it's not a contradiction that she is that she's basically a better red priest than everyone else, that she has a better understanding of it, which maybe I mean, that could be true. Is that how she made the shadow baby? Yeah, she it's shadow binding, which is different. But again, Melisandre thinks they're real. She thinks that there's a connection there. None of the other red priests think that we've never seen anything else like that. So it's 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 just the Melisandre thing. There's a lot of stuff like that, though. Because I talked about this during, I think, the Thora stream, where a lot of the the R'hllor religion is established early on through Thoros and Melisandre, but then George really expanded them through the world of Ice and Fire and in A Feast for Crows and A Dance with Dragons, and he kind of contradicts quite a lot of it. 
Like for instance, that Melisandre and Thoros don't have the the uh, tattoos that everyone else does, and this this appears to be one of them. He keeps carving out special exceptions for Melisandre because he doesn't want to doesn't want to retcon anything, so he just kind of uses it. Yeah, Melisandre is definitely a heretical figure. She's doing her own thing in Westeros. We're gonna we're gonna get to that too. So the last thing that can seem to happen. And this is, again, just a weird Melisandre thing. But, well, no, actually, no, this this extends to Beric as well. Melisandre doesn't need to eat or sleep anymore. She, she, she does it to keep up appearances, but it feels that it's not important to her anymore. She, it's not a biological necessity that she eat or sleep. The quote goes, food, yes, I should eat. Some days she forgot. Rolor provided her with all the nourishment her body needed. But that was something best concealed from mortal men. So she's drawing a difference between herself and mortal men. And this is another quote. She said she had no time for sleep with the weight of the world upon her shoulders. And she feared to dream. Sleep is a little death. Dreams, the whisperings of the other who would drag us all into eternal night. She would sooner sit bathed in the ruddy glow of her red lord's blessed flames. Her cheeks flushed by the wash of the heat as if by a lover's kiss. Some nights she drowsed, but never more than an hour. One day, Melisandre prayed she would not sleep at all. One day she'd be free of dreams. Melanie, she thought, lot seven. So she basically just like sleeps one hour a night. That's it. And it's, she's trying to get to the point that she doesn't have to anymore. And Beric experiences the same things as a fire white, where, you know, the blood no longer, George has said the blood no longer flows in his veins. Beric doesn't need to eat. He basically doesn't need to sleep either. He can just stay up all the time. This has kind of created the, the understanding that Melisandre herself is a fire white and that she wears a glamour in order to disguise what she really looks like, that she is not a like as beautiful as she seems, that she has a very powerful glamour that doesn't that basically never falters, you know, the giant red ruby around her neck. But this is George has said in interviews that fire whites are animated by fire, fire magic itself. And that it's different from the others whites, the ice whites, that they do a different thing. So this is maybe the most, maybe the most powerful example of is R'hllor real? Is it a real thing? Well, something's keeping her alive. Something is keeping her and Beric upright and living and basically turning them into superhumans that ha- that no longer need biological things to live that they are functionally immortal that they don't need to eat they don't need to sleep they can keep going forever so yeah that's that's a weird thing no no explanation where that comes from the only explanation is that it comes from something like relore that and that the connection to thoros doing the last rite, doing the fiery breath is the connection there that somehow they tapped into a kind of fire magic that allows them to bring things back from the dead. Yes, that's right, JT. So uh, there's a, there's a lot of similarities between Melisandre and the and the uh, the Undying. John can get it up its canon, maybe. George has George has definitively said though that Beric's blood doesn't flow, but he's also neglected to say how any of it else works. So you should just say that <laughs> John, if he comes back as a fire, right, will be able to do whatever he wants. The other things that happen are can be sort of explained as other other facets of of different magical things in the universe that like you know the the gift of prophecy that the green seers experience somehow is connected to the fire prophecy stuff that the that flame watchers can use and maybe somehow connected to glass candles in one in one big thing and but the the idea of these like weird fire whites that like just seem like perfect soldiers I don't know where that came from and there's really no explanation for it and there's no other 
similar example in the story. The 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 ice whites are seem to be like puppets or something like that. So Mel drips down her leg, so she's white and bleeds down her thigh. No, it's it's uh, old hands talks about this, and so does Barrick. There's still blood in their veins, but it's their heart isn't pumping. Like the biological processes in their body don't work anymore. They're essentially just like kept alive by something else. Mel Sandra's experience of feeling fire move throughout her and up her sounds like something alive. So if you wanted to say that's what Rolor is. I guess you could, but it's it's hard to say. There's definitely something they are tapping into, some sort of magic idea, magical idea or magical force that they're using, like a fire thing. If it's named Rolor, you know, does is it actually powered up by burnings? Is does it actually have to do with the way they do their prayers and all that kind of stuff? Totally unknown. But there definitely is some sort of magical fire force that they can use. So if you want to say, is there a lore? Kind of. If you wanted to name whatever the, <laughs> the forces that lets them see the future in the flames and animates whatever Melisandre is up to, then I guess that's But It's unclear if that's what it actually is. Like, is it, a, is it a real, is it a god? Is it a something like a Greek pantheon, like some sort of giant powerful figure? Or is it just like electricity it's kind of unclear and it's going to stay that way george has said he's not going to reveal one way or another and even if they did have the ability to have real bodies they wouldn't show up in the story anyway so but there is a lot of weird overlap with with other parts of the story so for instance we were talking about the children of the forest so yeah they have similar powers too the children can bring people back to life apparently with cold hands they have the ability to see in the future using their green dreams they have the ability to basically not have to eat or sleep if they hook themselves up to the weird blood raven is they can't as far as we know they can't like make fire appear from their hands although in the show they could but they apparently have the ability they call themselves the singers of the earth and they believe that they can like the hammer of waters and stuff like that definitely indicates some kind of elemental control for them and uh, somebody above talked about the pulsing blue heart of karth so this is the this is one of the strangest things in the Song of Ice and Fire. All of Danny's journey into Karth is exceptionally strange, and very little of it is explained, but this one especially, especially because Danny's on drugs at this point. But the pulsing blue heart in Karth. A long stone table filled this room. Above it floated a human heart, swollen and blue with corruption, yet still alive. It beat a deep, ponderous throb of sound, and each pulse sent out a wash of indigo light. The figures around the table were no more than blue shadows. As Danny walked to the empty chair at the foot of the table, did not stir nor speak nor turn to face her. There was no sound but the slow, deep beat of the rotting heart. It is weird that there's a floating, magical blue heart in Karth in the House of the Undying, especially because the Undying themselves appear to be a form of the undead or zombies. They are very similar to like Blood Raven. They're very similar to Fire Whites, maybe if you gave them enough time. Like, what would Barrick look like after a couple thousand years? Maybe one of these guys. Maybe this is what this would eventually happen to him, like a very slow decay. Some have suggested that this is the heart of winter, but certainly possible because it deeps, it beats with the deep blue, we assume, from cold and ice. But it would be kind of funny if this was what remains of the uh, flaming heart of R'hllor. At the very least, it feeds into the dualistic nature that George has tried to put into A Song of Ice and Fire, and specifically with R'hllor a lot. Like, we're told about this flaming red heart that creates life and sustains them. It can bring people back from the dead. And then you go to Karth, and then inside this one room, 
There's like what appears to be that, but like weird and corrupted and blue and something like that. Didn't George R. R. Martin say there's no gods in Westeros? Sort of. He's kind of said that if there are any, they're not showing up, but he refuses to answer yes or no if they're real. More, it's kind of, he waffles back and forth on it because he does like the idea of like super powerful, supernatural gods doing things. He writes them in his other stories. I just don't think he's going to, he doesn't seem inclined to do that in A Song of Ice and Fire. I think it would be really funny if this was the Lord of Light, if, uh, <laughs> if the blue heart that Drogon destroys is actually Rolor and that the the Carthine have him for some reason would be kind of funny if it's even real it's kind of maybe I don't really know that whole sequence is very strange because you have to put it through the lens that Danny is on hallucinogens so yeah I don't really know but that would be kind of fun and when you look at the even when we're looking back at the religion itself the religion of Rolor the followers themselves don't really seem to have a cohesive view on Rolor's will what it wants and what it's trying to do in the in their timeline basically uh, so you have melisandre who decided that stannis baratheon was a zorahai reborn and then basically like faked all the stuff to make it look like he did where you know they they burned the statues of the seven the wooden statues and then she put a glamour on his sword so it looked like it was alive with light even though it actually wasn't definitely heretical a figure she's she's got like a splinter understanding of the of Rolor's will although apparently from her experiences from what we see in her dance with dragons she experiences them in a in a very personal individual way where when she sees the flames and it like goes through her and does all this stuff to her that it's like that it's not an ideological concept it's he, she doesn't think Rolor is just like an ambiguous god or a force. She thinks it's real and that she can feel him. And then, of course, you get uh, Thoros of Mir, who himself is basically a non-believer, a non-believer red priest that then accidentally brings back to life Beric. And they just sort of it, it's it's strange what Thoros's reaction to it is, is rather than Melisandre, who tries to figure out the plan ahead of time and then figure out what the Lord wants and then does it like in the specific thing to fight the others Thoros and Beric have not really engaged with the idea of the others or the Brotherhood Without Banners in, a, in any particular way they've essentially taken their mission to be to help the people of the Riverlands that for some reason R'hllor wants him and Beric to just keep doing what they're doing be good guys in the Riverlands and fight against the Lannisters don't really know why Thoros and Beric aren't questioning it they just know it works. Barrett keeps coming back and Thoros keeps saying, well, that's a sign that whatever we're doing is correct. So we're going to keep doing it. But no real thought about Azor High comes from them. Not too much about the great other. It's just like, I'm trusting the plan, the plan being given to me by the fact that my friend keeps coming back to life. And of course, you get Makoro and Benero. They represent, I guess, the mainstream of the Reloric faith, Benero the high priest, Makoro, one of his priests. Benero has declared that Daenerys Targaryen is Azor Ahai come again, um, that she is the, the savior of the world, and that they need to convince her of that, that they need to go and say, hey, Danny, so you actually fulfill all these prophecies and we want to help you. Sending Makoro to do it. Benero, it, it, uh, Benero has basically taken the Maester Aemon approach that that the dragons mark Danny as the hero of destiny and therefore they have to help her. Using all the slaves of Volantis to do it, it appears that there's probably going to be a slave revolt in Volantis and on the ships that the Volantine fleet sent to to stop Danny. 
that the Red Priests are essentially going to turn the table on that, which will be kind of interesting. He also controls the army known as the Fiery Hand. But you can see from these these different figures that they see there's not it's a kind of a fractured religion. They don't really have a coherent understanding of what is the right way to stop the great other. Is Azora High alive right now? If they are, who is it? And then even if they are alive, how do you help them? Bonero in particular seems to be playing a very strange long game where he sent Makoro on the ship with Tyrion knowing that it would sink. Or that's what's implied by Makoro and that Makoro would live and then somehow still get there. That one's very confusing to me. I don't know if Makoro's bullshitting Tyrion at that point. He's just like, uh-huh, yep, there was a plan. I knew this was always going to happen. Or if if they really believe that somehow the fate of the world is tied to Victorian Greyjoy, because that's who Makoro ends up hooking up with. Um, Makoro gets lost at sea for like 10 days or something like that. Victorian fishes him out of the water. And then Makoro converts the ironborn to the faith of R'hllor like pretty quickly so it's a very strange situation that's going on there kind of unclear what, what what's really going on here if there has been suggestions that there's not one azor high that there's a bunch of them and that's why R'hllor is sending all these contradictory messages about who should be the the, um, the hero of legend that will bring bet that will end the darkness it's also very possible that as melisandre indicated in her P- internal pov that People kind of see what they want to see in the flames and their interpretations are not necessarily the truth. Did did Makoro really convert the Ironborn? Well, sort of, kind of. It's kind of a weird hybrid drowned god R'hllor religion going on in Victorian's boat at this point, especially since he showed up with old volcano hands and started rubbing dragon binder and saying, Horn, horn. It's like really creepy. And this is kind of where we get into what the show did with R'hllor because the confusion that the fandom has at what R'hllor is, what it wants, does, is it even real, and does it have a plan, the show decided to say that, yes, R'hllor is real, it has a plan, and it's sending messages in particular to people to get them to do things in order to manipulate the ending so that it wins. That's basically what happened with Melisandre at the end of it, that R'hllor showed she understands at the end of her life before she collapses into a heap that she was there in Winterfell in order to help her and Beric were in Winterfell at that battle. And R'hllor brought them back in order to specifically help Arya so that she could kill the Night King and end the others. That is that is an interpretation of what's going on, that there is like a consciousness with a plan that it's sending out messages to people to get them to do stuff it, it it does answer the question of why are people seeing things in flames like why why is that a thing at all a super chat from jt soul a 5ca thanks for a great discussion thank you for answering my questioning about the blue heart earlier earlier no problem it is it's set up in sort of the dualistic way like it's hard to think about relore and its fiery red heart and not think about the blue one the one that we've seen the weird almost dead blue one it seems magical too it'd be strange if there was literally no connection between them yeah good call morally the bringing back of lady stoneheart was that relore's will or is it just that somehow anybody that was raised by thoros can raise anybody else like what if if Beric had found somebody else at the riverside and he had given the last kiss would they have come back to life or was it only stoneheart would come back to life it's it's very strange to think about i have heard in the past speculation that future bran or something or blood raven is essentially pretending to be relore and that's why they're sending out messages because 
there is a certain resonance between the dreams that like the ghosts of high heart gets and the visions and lore that people get from lore and the flames that basically they are similarly structed there's a a vagueness to them and the way people react to them seem to be pretty much the same there's also been thought for some time that dragon dreams are basically the same thing as reloric visions which would again tie into the idea that relorism and valyrian culture are basically one and the same that maybe dragon dreams are an extension of seeing things in the flame. yeah when in doubt it's blood raven it's always blood raven i imagine that'll be a question that will be answered at some point how much blood raven has been doing versus you know bran the the speculation about future bran is basically he can he's now in the present he can see into the past and affect it so if he gets older if like a brand from like 200 years from now could he see what's happening currently and affect it from the future that kind of thing that's a kind of time pretzel thing that will break your brain i don't begrudge the show for basically not engaging with it because that's a hard question to answer. And it, when you look at George's other works, he has gone both ways on how that works. Sometimes he does alternate dimensions. Sometimes he does time as a pretzel. So you can change nothing because it's already faded. Um, pretty unclear about what's going on there. Do I think, I think with the end of, we're going to end in a stream. So if you guys have any questions I didn't get to, throw them into the chat at me, bro. Anything that I missed while I was talking, I'll do my best to answer it. This is one of those streams where there's not a lot of answers because there's not a lot to go on. And especially even if you try and seek out answers from George, if he's maybe more forthcoming in interviews or questions from fans and stuff like that, he's not. He, he doesn't really go on the record about this stuff. And it's not always in a deep reading way where there's something left to come. A lot of the times when people ask him about magic, he just sort of rolls his eyes and says, don't think too hard about it because there's not going to be a complicated answer coming. Like this isn't this isn't Brand this isn't Brandon Sanderson thing. Yeah, with like uh, with Brandon Sanderson's projects where uh, like the Mistborn and stuff like that, where there's definitely a cause for everything, and he goes to great lengths to explain it. George isn't doing that. He's not going to. He doesn't want to. So to look for those answers is to look for something that's not there. So is there an actual Relore? Like the thing that the Relores pray to? Is there a consciousness of some kind? that accepts fire sacrifices and then gives favor to its to the people that do it based on what they give and also grants them magical fire powers and then allows them to grant bring things back to life but only sometimes um like is there an is there something with a plan behind the scenes that is guiding the relorists in a way to fight the great other. I would say probably not that that a religion has essentially formed around basically a force a force of nature that it doesn't really that the fire magic that they burn things and then get magical effects because blood magic is a thing in this world not because it's relore. You know, people can do things with with different kinds of fire magic like the pyromancers or Benero drawing things with his fingers or the guy with the fire ladder, because in this world, George has decided that you can use magic to, to create and use fire. Therefore, it does. And there's not like a, a god behind it, like picking and choosing who gets to do it. That it's just like, if you are, if you have the ability, then you can. It has nothing to do with the religion. I should have muted my mic right then. I should have muted my mic. I'm sorry about that. The thing that gives me the most pause is definitely the fire whites and also the seeing things in the flames. Like very strange. Also that they see that the flames seem to react to the person what they're asking to see. Like Melisandre believes that she can direct the visions into what she wants. 
but it's unclear if it's actually doing that or if it's just showing things and sometimes it happens to be what she's asking for. So, and I <laughs> I understand why the show did the whole Beric was kept alive in order to make it to the end in order to save Arya as sort of like a backwards justification and like that scene between Melisandre and Arya earlier and paying it off. I would be pretty surprised if that ends up being true in A Dream of Spring wins a winner that there is a a reloric plan like there is a fire god manipulating things to go in a certain way to defeat the others that would be that would be surprising to me let's see here so let's let's grab some questions here things i may have missed do we have a jesus for warlorism any talk about the origins like what we do for the false i don't i don't know what a felisman felisman i don't know what that is is there a jesus for warlorism well that's kind of a zora high Although in questions about Rulorism and the Lord of Light, George has resisted the ideas that you're supposed to see them as Jesus and that you're supposed to see the great other as Satan. That that's not what he's going for. That he likes the idea that it's one force with two faces, that kind of thing. Uh, Christina Keedle. Oh yeah, by the way, uh, 11 more people hit like. We'll give away one more shirt before we get out of here. If Rulorism came from Valyrian culture, what figure in that culture is the source for the great other? I mean, it's probably just the the memory of the long night or the others themselves that it, the long night was global. So for a culture that is obsessed with fire and magic and stuff like that, it'd be weird if they weren't aware that the long night happened and that there may have been and that we know that the prince that was promised is a long term prophecy within their within the Valyrian culture. So it could be that from the prince that was promised prophecy basically came out what we know as modern rulerism because it seems like such an offshoot of Valyrian culture be weird if it wasn't but the belief in the the resurrection of a hero that will stop the others that's probably a lot older i wouldn't be surprised if rulerism is relatively recent like i mean relatively in terms of like the history of the entire story that we get going back like five ten thousand years I would be surprised. I wouldn't be surprised if Rolorism was like a thousand years old or something like that, rather than going all the way back. Can you put on the hat, hat please? No, we didn't get there. Can't put it on unless they get that. Oh, we're just going to go ahead and end this poll. 64, I didn't, 64% think that Rolor is real. Okay, fair enough. End poll. God, this thing's so laggy. I don't know why it's so laggy. Lore 7 and what's my all time favorite fantasy series? Probably a song of ice and fire. When I was younger, I really liked Harry Potter, but I sort of grew up not a huge fan of Lord of the Rings. It's so really slow and ponderous. It actually took me until a few years ago for me to actually finish the series and go back and read the Hobbit and all the other stuff. And it was just like, it's better when you're older, but I didn't have a lot of patience as a young man, so I didn't get through it. Or what else do I got? I've been enjoying King Killer Chronicles, but that seems to be lost in development hell. With Rothfuss, kind of like Martin at this point, so who knows when that will ever come about. I've been enjoying The Witcher, but I haven't finished it. So probably Song of Ice and Fire, my favorite fantasy series. Dark Crow Maroon, weird thing about a whole Song of Ice and Fire, feels like Norse mythology. Rayla reminds me of Ymir, and Rolora reminds me of Surtur, don't know why. That's intentional. George does draw from uh, Norse mythology pretty heavily for uh, all this stuff. Yeah, the idea of the long night or a long winter definitely does exist than Norse mythology so you're not wrong to think that you are picking up on something he is doing yes what was done was what was done to Varys as a child done by Rolor worshiper possibly so the story goes that Varys had his genitals cut off by a wizard that dropped them into a flames and then from the flames a voice answered it would be weird if like make a collect call to Rolor you had to burn a kid's junk that would be fucked up 
But then again, so is burning people. So very well could be. That one's never been explained and I doubt it will. If you want to look at the idea that R'hllor is a real thing with like a consciousness that can answer people, then the wizard burning Varys's genitalia in order to talk to a wizard is probably the closest example. But yeah, I don't know. It is a weird one. It does sound like a R'hllor's thing though. They they definitely like burning children. That's one of their things. Let's see here. Let me scroll down. Oh, I lost my place. Hang on a second. I think Rolores being able to breathe fire is something you do with why dragons can. Could be. It definitely seems strange that Rolores priests can breathe fire and so dragons can't too. That again leads me to the idea that they are, that they came from a Valyrian culture. Somebody is doing something, but who we don't know. Yeah, that's, that's about a guilty undertaker. I would be fairly disappointed if A Song of Ice and Fire ends. And it was just like none of the character's choices mattered because it was being manipulated by some big magical thing. And like there was no free will. And it would be like, what was the point? That'd be a pretty crappy way to end it. And usually George's time travel stories don't end that way. They tend to, they have different endings from something like that. If Mel's visions didn't keep her safe, she would have died a long time ago. No. Um, well, she's probably a fire white, so I don't think she can die at all. Unless like somebody cuts her head off or something and very possible she could maybe just come back to life. Who knows? Melisandre is one of those characters that continually has new and surprising things happen to her that are not foreshadowed to sort of come out of nowhere. Oh, we hit 150 likes. Thank you, guys. All right. So let's add a keyword here and we'll do that. And I'll grab my wizard hat. Let's go for will be a good key fire. So type the word fire in order to win yourself a, a t-shirt from my threadless shop hang on a second there we go that's <laughs> uh, kind of hang on a second floppy on me there we go a bruins wizard a bear wizard sounds like something from bear isle thank you guys for slamming the mf and like button Let's see here uh, is that an ass waffle blanket on my chair yes it is it is indeed because it's very comfy the thing i don't like about king killer chronicles is like the weird side quest where Basically, Kavoth, whatever you pronounce his name, basically just has sex for like five chapters. I kind of came out of nowhere. I was like, all right, well, I guess that's one way to have somebody learn new powers. It's sex powers. All right. From the god of goddess of sex herself. Thought that was like it was kind of cringy in some places, but it was also just like a weird diversion out of nowhere. I don't think a lot of people went into reading King Killer Chronicles expecting it to suddenly just take like a several chapter detour into the intricacies of fucking very against expectations. J.R. Tolkien basically copied all the sagas and Lord of Rings influences pretty much all fantasy. Uh, yeah, Tolkien had a weird thing where he wanted to sort of make Norse in, like Catholic. It's, it's kind of strange. It's kind of like the seven in one that George plays with where he wanted to use those kind of old sagas and stuff like that, but still have them the underneath the one true God idea. Very strange. Yeah. Currently rereading The Hobbit. I think rereading The Hobbit takes about five, five seconds. It's really short. Does that mean Lee Stoneheart a fire or was she more a water white? Oh, she's a fire white because Beric brought her back. So it's definitely a fire white. Yeah. King Killer is hard to read though because Cave Off is such a dick and you're only in his POV. It's you kind of have to enjoy the story while also while also getting over how unlikable he is. Varys is an interesting topic. Yeah, that'd be true. Varys for a future thing would be kind of cool to see here. As you can see, I'm scrolling from quite a long ways back while you guys are furiously typing fire in the chat. Thank you, by the way. Well, once I catch up to the chat, we'll go ahead and roll. Series ends with a board cube coming down and a giant ASCII middle finger. Sure. Yeah, it sounds right. I can see that one. Fire whites can die. I mean, they can't die from natural causes. 
like Melisandre, it doesn't seem like like fire whites can die by getting old or by like getting disease or something like that. You have to like hack them to pieces like a zombie or something like that. I think you can bring them back anyway. More interesting would be uh, magical things. We're trying and failing to manipulate events like Littlefinger's line about the pawns getting wills of their own. Yeah, that would kind of uh, mirror what we're being told by Melisandre about reading the signs and like George's repeated thing that, you know, sorcery is a sword without a hilt and something like that. It'd be disappointing if it was actually, by the way, no, the sword has a hilt if you just know how to use it correctly. And no, the pawns never have minds of their own if you're smart enough. Like that's, that doesn't seem like a good, satisfying way to complete that theme. But what do I know? Guilty Undertaker's wearing your ass waffle shirt. It's a good one. Let's see here. <laughs> George is gratuitous with some of his sex scenes, but they don't tend to be back to back to back in like the way that Rothfuss did it in the middle of uh, the second book. Really just came out of nowhere. Although one thing to keep in mind is that Kingkiller Chronicles is largely um, Kavoth, or however you pronounce his name, making stuff up or exaggerating. So that that does add a little bit of complexity to it that you have to essentially see through his bullshit. Yeah, the Florian episode, it does have a lot of lore and world building, but it's it's packaged in a very strange way. It kind of comes out of nowhere. I have no problem reading like sex scenes and like that kind of stuff. It was just like the story ground to a halt for it. <laughs> it was an interesting pacing decision, to say the least. Um couldn't disagree more about Kinkler. Okay, cool. Snorri Sturluson beat Tolkien by that by several hundred years. I'm sure uh, there is a there's been a lot of attempts over history to integrate Norse mythology into Christianity and Catholicism. Tolkien did it in fiction, basically. All right, let's roll this bitch. Let's see what we got. Soter, S-O-T-E-R. Congratulations on winning. You can send me a message on Twitter via DM. My DMs are open. Or you can email me at askjoemagician at gmail.com. I'll send you a code and... You can pick up your own free t-shirt from my, my Threadless shop. Well, it's it's a gift card, basic, or a gift certificate. So you can buy whatever you want for basically like $20. But it happens to be the same amount as a t-shirt. So that's how I set it up. I think that's probably about it. I ran out of stuff to talk about on my on my, my document. I don't know. I Is it a good stream with, with me ending going like, I don't know. But that, that's kind of how I feel about Relore. And I think that's sort of intentional is... You're not really supposed to know one way or another how real it is or if it's real, if the followers even have a correct understanding of it. It's I think it's supposed to be it's supposed to make your head scratch and it's supposed to be otherworldly in a sense. George likes to do that in particular with like very like fantasy concepts where he finds that it increases the enjoyment of the audience if there's stuff you don't know that it seems mysterious that there's that it feels like something beyond comprehension that's this general feel he likes to put into these things so it's not really surprising that he did that with relore what this like big powerful mechanism god magic thing that is pushing the story forward and it would be pretty interesting if it ended up just being nothing or if it was just like somebody like imagine if somebody like turned on and off the lights to somebody that doesn't understand electricity and then trying to like figure out how that is a like message from the from the gods or something like that it could be that for 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 lore they just don't understand it <laughs> so but you know there there are other stories that are much more on the nose about explaining what's going on within them like I said, uh, Brandon Sanderson's series is very much more on the nodes about explaining the fantasy and supernatural things, along with um, Philip K. Dick and the Dark Materials series. And that one, basically, by the end of it, everything gets explained, like down to a really granular level. And I guess in a sense, that sort of ruins the mystery. 
or the sense of wonder that comes with them. Although for those guys, they don't think that way. They think the sense of wonder is understanding it. George has written a story about that in the past. With If you ever want to go back and read some of his stories, one of the most informative ones about his outlook towards writing and how he wants you to engage with his work is called With Morning Comes Mistfall. In that he engages with these topics directly in a way that isn't really narrative. It's more like the philosophy of writing, but told through a, a short story. So in With Morning Comes Misfall, he ends up coming to the conclusion basically that I could explain everything that's going on here so that you, the audience, understand and I wrap it all up like a mystery. But then what would be the fun in that? That's basically what he what he goes for. Believers are more interested in gods. Yeah, that's is there magic in the Trident River with the dead? Is there magic in the in the Trident? I don't think so. I don't even know what that would be like the rubies, maybe because rubies. Melisandre uses a ruby to power some of her powers or something like that also a fun side effect people have wondered for years how melisandre survived the poisoning by crescent and it's very possible that she didn't and that she used the magic of her lore to essentially purge her herself in the same way that beric came back from life after being cut in half by sandor that relore essentially healed the damage as it was happening and that's why like the the ruby was glowing so bright also possibly that she's a fire white so there's nothing to poison that kind of thing oh good question was lady stoneheart's resurrection made possible in mass blood sacrifice of the red wedding no i don't think so because Beric just sort of comes back from the dead randomly like just whenever he happens to die and it killed him to give up his life so I think if there was like an, a sense of like overflowing blood magic available that allows for Stoneheart's resurrection, then I don't think Beric would have had to die, right? Because he used up his life to give her his. Yeah, good question. I think we're probably going to wrap it up here. Uh, yeah, thanks you guys for slamming that like button, uh, new subscribers and all that stuff. I will be back in about two weeks. I have to check my work schedule. That's sometimes why I like two or three weeks because I have to work on weekends sometimes. That's what happened recently. I had to I had to work the weekend, so I could not stream. So yeah, if you want to support me in the channel, if you enjoyed this, make sure you Again, like and subscribe to the channel, leave a comment. Actually, as a comment, if you're listening to this back, tell me, do you think Relora is real? Do you think that there's an actual like fire god consciousness behind the flames? Or is it something else entirely? That'd be kind of a fun one. And this one's particularly for you guys that listen to this on the podcast feed. I don't know if you guys know this live as we're talking about this, but I do edit these and I put them up as as a podcast, a shorter one. So this is this has been running for Ooh, two hours and change at this point. When I put it up for the podcast feed, it will be about an hour 45. So wherever you're listening to this, if you're listening to this on a podcast feed, whether it's iTunes, Spotify, wherever you're listening to it, if there's an ability to leave a rating or a, a review, please do. I would appreciate it a lot. And 